the question prepared. Oh, so Robert, welcome everybody to Saturday morning. Actually, it's Friday evening, your time. We'll have to uh, find out from the flat earthers why that's true. But uh, in any case, um, Robert was asking a question that doesn't kind of make sense. And and let me see if I've got it straight when you're saying or asking a question about can self-pity be an avenue to happiness? And the answer to that would be that in most cases, the path of self-pity just keeps going into more self-pity. And the further you go into it, the deeper it goes. It gets stuck in a cycle. <clears throat> And the people who were stuck in that cycle, you want to keep weapons away from them. Okay, now, uh, the issue of pity uh, is in, in a sense that you're seeing something wrong, something a problem, uh, and it's a pity that you cannot solve that problem. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. Well, one of the ways that we can do that is we can lighten it up, turn it around, make a joke out of it in the sense of that isn't it a big pity that that's the only problem that you've got. The self-pity is I don't have enough trouble. I need more problems. Isn't that a pity? In other words, all I've got is self-pity. I don't have any real problems at all. Now, the human mind is actually, um, let us say, from the development through, from the animals and uh, and on, that the primary reason for having a brain at all is to make sure that uh, all of the rest of the bodily functions are functioning correctly. That was the original part of the brain. That's what we call them uh, the um, reptilian brain or the anterior cortex. But what happened? over millions of years and sometimes in fits and starts and big burst is the development of the frontal cortex. They say that uh, this was due to the discovery of the control of fire and that whoever or whatever it was that learned to control fire so that they could cook meat were not really human yet. That the guys who made fire, or let us say at least we were able to capture and use it and cook meat on it, allowed then for <clears throat> the jaw muscles to not have to be so big and strong because the meat was cooked, that they weren't eating it raw. Because of that, <clears throat> that allowed the part of the face to grow and also all of that extra energy from the cooked food allowed the brain the frontal cortex to grow. 
into making new kinds of fires. And so um, what we're actually looking at is, is that in religion and most in Western society, everybody is <clears throat> talking about how important the truth is. The truth, big truth, right? Uh, Jack Nicholson in the movie says you can't handle the truth. Uh, Christianity has truth with a great big T. An ultimate truth, a great big truth. Well, guess what? The human brain was not, uh, let us say, developed in order to find truth. That was a very recent kind of thing, let us say, in the past four or five hundred years or maybe the past 2000. But in the old days, during the development of the brain, what the brain was used for was pattern recognition. To be able to recognize patterns, to be able to put two and two together, to be able to come and look at a tree and then tomorrow come and look at the tree and remember the changes to that tree to say, oh, this particular animal has been to this tree in, in recent times and things like that. So this is an important point to recognize that the human brain is a pattern recognition machine. And that is, in fact, the difference between regular programming and AI. The regular programming starts with the data and massages the data based upon an algorithm. AI is not using an algorithm, it's just gathering data and making pattern matches. This is exactly how AI can do facial recognition is because they're uh, finding the patterns. They're finding one thing after another, okay? This is in fact something that we use in the Dhamma to great advantage in the sense that we can find a way of getting the mind into a happy state. And then later we find a way of getting the mind back into a happy state. And then later we find that we can put it into a happy state again. So we're getting the role going. We're getting a pattern matching. <clears throat> and this is what we then would be calling success in meditation is to get that pattern role. All right. You, Robert, already have a pattern rolling, a habit of matching patterns that wind up in pity rather than in joy. And you're seeing that pattern happen over and over again. So what I invite you to do is start looking at those patterns, start recognizing when you have a thought of self-pity and recognize, no, you don't have to have that, that you can come back and have a thought of joy. So I would say that the right way to handle this is to start being mindful of this self-pity. Be in self-pity mindfully in the sense of looking at it, notice the patterns, recognize the, the process that you go through. <laughs> and all the while, Keep track of the fact that you can make a change. You can change that. Once you see the pattern, you have a chance of making a change to it. You can alter the pattern. If you can't see the pattern, then 
it's hard to make a change to it. So this is why we want to do the investigation. But I would also make sure that you understand that generally self-pity is an unwholesome state. Ron, you're going to leave, huh? When we recognize that, that self-pity is not only a wholesome state, but it's got two aspects of uh, unwholesomeness. One is the pity, and the other one is the self. And so you can start to play with that in the sense of taking the self out of the pity and play with just the pity. How we do do that, I would say with the little phrase, ain't it awful, ain't it awful. Okay, whatever goes wrong, say, ain't it awful. Ain't it awful that George Bush is an idiot. Ain't it awful that uh, Joe Biden is old. Ain't it awful that Donald Trump's a liar. Okay, start playing with all this ain't it awful because the world is full of awful stuff. We should take pity on the world. However, you, Robert, you don't look like you need any pity at all. You look like you're okay. So whatever self-pity that you're having, that's just an old habit, just an old pattern. And you can recognize that and make a change. That's the real key. I think that's the key to the practice that you're missing is the key to the point of look at what you're doing and make a change to it. This is the Eightfold Noble Path to remember to examine this pity and then recognize that, hey, I can make a change to that, that the pity itself doesn't lead to happiness, as you were saying, that it, ha that it leads down a rat hole, that someplace in there, you have to make a change. And the change would be, the easiest change, is to make a joke out of the pity. Start playing with it. It's not heavy at all. It's just an old habit. You could go around uh, uh, with the phrase, like, ain't it awful? You can also go around with the phrase, something like, poor Robert. Isn't it a pity, poor Robert? Robert's in such a mess, poor Robert. <laughs> start playing with it, start teasing yourself that it's not really all of that heavy. You're making it heavy. There's not really any heaviness to it. Everything is actually quite light. All, all you really need to do is remember that and lighten up. So these are the ways to do it. One of the ways to talk about it is to separate the pity from the self and start going around seeing all the pity that's, uh, that the world deserves. I mean, the world's a mess. And when I say the world, I'm not talking about planet Earth. Planet Earth is doing just fine with or without humans. 
but we're talking about human society. In human society, that world is a mess. Ain't it awful? And worse still, Robert, ain't it awful that you can't see how awful the world is? Ain't it awful that we can't see how awful the world is? Ain't it awful that you see things as awful? So these are the kind of ways to start playing with it, to start lightening it up, to recognize that things are not as bad as you keep telling yourself they are. That yeah, maybe the world is uh, is messed up and the world taught you by its example how you can mess up. And when you can see how you mess up, you could just say, well, ain't it awful? I learned that from the world. But you don't have to keep that. You can make a change. You can recognize that and start playing with it. Make pity your toy. Make it your excuse. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. Like, I've, like it, I, it's all so bad. Like, because it's like all completely so bad, then like I kind of find like some joy in that. Like, it's 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 so terrible that like I like go reverse and I enjoy it because it's all so terrible. If you know what I mean. That's. Mm-hmm. But. But what is it that's so awful? What is it that's worthy of your pity? Um, just like if I'm in like a really dark like place, like mentally, like everything will seem kind of colored by that and everything will seem kind of bad. And so I'll like my whole situation will seem like pitiful. Like I'll think on the whole, like in general, things like are really bad. And then I'll be like. All right, well, some, here's like, the point then. How did you get yourself into things so really, really bad? Did, did you enjoy the troop from being okay into being really, really bad? Because that was quite a journey. Did you see yeah, the yeah. journey that you took? A lot of times, like, I enjoy it, like, or at least a part of me, like, it likes, um, it enjoys, like, like seeing how everything sucks like it's like yeah everything does suck like i'm right everything sucks like i I, you know i have every right to be sad and upset um like and and uh, it'll take like pride in that and it'll it'll enjoy that actually Mm -hmm. like it's it, it like like part of me like that gladdens its mind if you if you know what i'm like trying to say like it makes me like I don't know how to explain it. Um, yeah, it's like I'm always glad that things are terrible. Yeah. But things are not terrible in and of themselves. They're not inherently terrible. That's just a mental attitude that you have. Things just are things the way that they are. They're not terrible on their own. That's something that Robert is adding to it. And Robert is actually quite an expert at making things terrible. He's an expert. 
He's a world-class champion at turning just ordinary things into a pile of shit. Reminds yeah, me of the guy who eats food. Everything he eats turns to shit. Whether he, yeah. even if he goes to the refrigerator and sees that the that the food is is um, let us say borderline in age, it's gotten old, and he has to make a decision: Am I going to eat this old food, or am I going to throw it out? Guess what? In both cases, that food turns to shit. And you're very excellent at that. Everything turns to shit. And you can see that. Congratulations, Robert. Everything's a pile of shit. Aren't you happy that you can see it that way? In other words, ain't it awful? You're making things terrible. You're in the habit of making things terrible. You're an expert at making things terrible. Congratulations. Everybody's smiling but Robert. <laughs> Everybody laughing but Robert. That's that's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, at least I'm good at something. Yeah, you're very good at it. You, you. I mean, you're world class champion at making trouble, making problems for yourself. Okay, so start separating it out from what you are pitying. At least make that change, so that it's not Robert that you are pitying. Because after all, we've just established that Robert is an absolute expert at making pity. So now that you're an expert at making self-pity, why don't you just start pitying the world? Start pitying everything around you. Oh, poor teak wood, subject to ants. Isn't that a pity? Well, it's actually, teak wood is very resistant, very hard wood. So the wood has to get like 50 years old, but this house is well older than that. And so the termites are eating floor. Isn't that a pity? The price of diesel fuel has gone sky high. Isn't that a pity? Hmm. You see where we're going with this? It make everything a pity. Recognize that you're very good at turning everything into shit. And so get used to that in the sense of recognizing that you've got a skill there. Mm. Yeah, so it's like seeing the like the absurdity of it. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is that it's absurd that you keep having a pity party when, in fact, your life is okay. It's just not as good as you want it to be. Right? Yeah. Well, you got into the habit of having your life not as good as you wanted to be when you were really a little kid. That's an old habit. 
Wouldn't you agree? That you've been in the habit of having a self-pity party for a long, long time. Yeah, I'd agree. When did you start? When did you start with that? Was there a time when you actually were deserving of a pity party? When things were really, really tough. Like when you were in diapers. I mean, learning to walk was a lot of trouble. I remember learning to walk, falling down often. When we're little, little kids, we are dependent. When we're little kids, we are um, incompetent. When we're really little kids, many of those little kids don't like being little kids and they immediately want to grow up. How many times have you heard a kid say his age and then add the word half to it? Or add a year to it and then use the word almost. Now, how old are you? I'm almost eight. I just had my seventh birthday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we don't like being whatever it is that we are, and we get in the habit of not liking who we are and what we are when we're kids. We lie about it. We get into the habit of it. You start having pity parties when you're a child. Well, guess what? Look at the environment that you live in now. You're a whole lot better off than, let us say, two-thirds or maybe three-quarters of the people on the planet Earth. You're probably up there in the really 90 percentile already. But you're still in the habit of having a pity party because it ain't good enough. Okay? Yeah, yeah. When is your life going to be good enough? When is it that you're going to have even better drawings and, and artwork on the back of the wall? I mean, isn't it a pity that that artwork that you've got? You need to tear all that down and get better artwork. I've actually had that thought. <laughs> exactly. So things are already not good enough as a habit from childhood. And so what we need to do in our Anapanasati practice is to wake up to those thoughts when you're having them. So when you have the thought, all oh, these drawings on the wall, they need to be replaced. They're not good enough. Catch that thought. Recognize that, hey, I thought that this wall was good enough when I put that stuff up there. Why isn't it good enough now? The answer is because it wasn't good enough when I put the stuff up there. And now the wall is still not good enough. Not because the wall has changed, because the wall has changed. What hasn't changed is your pity party. That's the old habit. So start watching for that pity party. Start recognizing it. Start playing with it. Find out that you've got a new toy to play with. You can start running it into poetry. Ain't it awful about the bees? Ain't it awful about the trees? Ain't it awful about the wheeze? 
just, you know, start playing with it. Enjoy yourself. Ain't it awful? Because you can find an awful lot of stuff that's awful. It's awful how much stuff there is. Awful lot. <laughs> so start playing with how bad things are. Start playing with your pity party. In fact, the next time that you have a pretty pity party, why don't you get out a tea set and do it correctly? Invite some friends over. Not for a tea party, but for a pity party. So you fill each cup full of pity. <laughs> you start playing with it. Start making a joke out of it. I, I know that. that's I, hard. I can make a joke out, out of stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the way to, to look at it is, is that you can make a, a joke out of this. That there is... Uh, no reason for you to continue in the the mentality and the attitude that you had when you were in diapers or maybe a little bit later than that but we get into being negative about the world we learn how to be negative about the world we learn to be negative about ourselves from the adults around us so someone taught you how to do pity party who was that? Do you know? Was it one individual or did you have a whole class of, I mean, a whole university full of professors teaching you how to do pity party? Yeah, a whole bunch of them. Mm, okay. So you can find a way of coming out of that pity party by playing with it. That it was actually okay that you had pity parties. That in fact your pity parties were quite successful. I mean, look at the uh, the wall decorations that you had. So your pity party is actually making some successes. So congratulate yourself for the successes that you do have, whether they come from pity party or not. That's exactly the same thing as fear. That fear has gotten you up to the state that you're in you're still alive you're still breathing so all of the fear that you've had all of your life has done its job it's kept you alive your pity parties have also kept you successful so they've had some value but now you're seeing not just the gratification in the pity party you're beginning to also see the danger that's why you brought it up, as you can see the danger of these pity parties. So now we're plotting the escape. And what is the escape from the pity party? Is let's have a party. If you're going to have a pity party, let's really have a party. Let's start having some fun with it. Part of me doesn't want to accept that. Like, part of me says, like, that's like, you shouldn't make light of that situation. And part of me, it, it really believes it. Like uh, it who told you that you can't, who told you you can't make light of a situation? Um, I don't remember. All right. Well, if you don't even remember who gave you that rule, then why do you have to apply it here? 
look at that resistance. You do have resistance to making light of it. So what I would recommend right now is take a deep breath. And as you breathe out, you can breathe out that resistance. And just relax. You look like you stopped breathing when I mentioned breathing. Yeah, it, uh, it, I don't know, it feels like I'm like ignoring my issues, kind of like, like I'm just like distracting myself. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know why, like. <laughs> well, we're like, discovering that. Instead of saying, I don't know why, therefore let's have another pity party. <laughs> oh, poor me, I don't know why I'm having a pity party. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's right. You can make light of it. But you have to get over that resistance. I'm really glad that you brought that up, that you actually have resistance to doing something very wholesome, useful, and valuable for yourself. Recognizing that resistance. You can say, oh, all right, all right, I've got some resistance here. Never mind. Let me take a deep breath and start again. Make friends with that resistance. I resist having fun. I'm a morbid son of a gun. If I had a better chance of doing this right, they would make horror movies about me. I'm a regular Freddy Krueger. So one of the ways of doing this is exaggerate it. Make it really big. How big a pity could you have in your pity party? The important thing is, is to separate yourself from the pity. That pity is not self-pity, that it's not you that's pitiful. It's thoughts that you are pitiful. But your thoughts about being pitiful doesn't make you pitiful. But your thoughts lead you to the feelings. If you keep telling yourself that you're pitiful, you'll begin to feel pitiful. And that's where the self comes in. You're getting very selfish now with your pity. Then, in fact, there's a whole lot of pity. A lot of folks have a lot of self-pity. You've had some good teachers. And they also taught you to resist, that you've got to be pitiful. That in fact, I could imagine that that's the only way that some people can get any love and affection is by coming and being pitiful. That I have seen situations like that. Let us say that a teacher had two teacher's pets. Or maybe it's a mom with two kids, doesn't matter. The situation is the same. One of the children is, um, let us say, good at figuring things out. 
That child is good at doing the, the program, doing the test, doing everything that the teacher requires, making friends with the teacher and all of that. The other student is pitiful. He can't do his homework and he cries and he's unhappy. Guess what? The teacher or the mom in this case will then take pity on the pitiful child. Her nurturing, her helper will come out and the pitiful child will get more care and more affection than the competent child. That's one of the problems with being competent. A lot of us competent kids think that our competence is going to get mommy to love us. Actually, it can be so bad that because we are competent and mommy's too busy taking care of the incompetent kid that the competent kid kind of gets ignored. Or even worse, mommy starts to depend upon the competent kid because she's too busy being at a pity party with the other kid that's at a pity party. So which kid are you? Are you the competent kid that gets everything done and then gets ignored? Or are you the pitiful kid who gets taken care of? Uh, probably the latter, if I'm honest. Oh, ah, so you want me to take care of you while you're having a pity party, huh? Um, I don't know. Um, I feel like it's more like when I think stuff is bad enough, like part of me just like stops caring about it and I kind of just like just go into my own like zone and I'm like I didn't catch that like, match. like I kind of go into my own zone like if, if I don't care about anything like if everything is awful I just like don't care about it and I feel like it's kind of like that more than like anybody actually like if I like act pitiful like I get the opposite reaction like like mom and, oh. mom and dad would be like 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 that's pathetic like grow up like you know so I wouldn't I... say I finally got you. Okay, now I see what's happening here. So you're saying then that if you have a big enough pity party, then uh, you get to the point of what's the use? What's yeah, the yeah. point? And then the next step is that you give up. You quit. Yeah. You relinquish. Yeah. Okay. But you still got the pity party. Can you find a way of relinquishing and be happy. Why don't you just give up without having to do it from failure? You can give up from the perspective of success. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I always need like a like a reason to give up. Um, that's like you do need a reason to give up. The pitiful reason sometimes winning is the reason to give up. I mean, after you've won the race, why don't you stop running? Once the job is done, you can quit. Here you are saying, oh, well, I need a reason to quit long before the job is done. And the funny part about it is, is that there's very little job to do. 
What is the job to do is to feel like that you're successful and that you've got the job done. Rather than I'm not up to the job and now I can quit. You can say instead, oh, well, I've done it. I've given myself permission. In other words, my pity party is so good now. Ha ha, I can quit. But I can do it from joy, not from misery. <clears throat> but in fact, this is all back to the issue of Sila Bhatta Paramasa. This is all about the issue of you not um, matching up to the um, rules or the standards that you've got. Okay, so this is one way of looking at it is, is to see what standard is it that you're incapable of matching up to. This very much reminds me of the sour grapes. You know the story of the sour grapes, Aesop's fable? Do you know that story? Um, uh, is it like a, like a fox eating grapes? No, yes, the fox. Oh, that the is. fox has tried to jump for the grapes, but the grapes that he's jumping at are too high because all the other animals have eaten the low-hanging fruit, and so he's jumping now to get the high fruit, and he can't reach it. He maybe can touch it, but he can't get up to the point of getting a bite of it. And so after he tries a while, he gives up in defeat and says, oh, well, these grapes were probably sour anyway which means all these grapes were not worth the effort. Now, normally when the seventh graders or whatever who are learning this, they, they hear it from the Western perspective of, oh, well, that just means that the, uh, the fox didn't try hard enough and that the grapes were not sour, okay? But a way of doing it that's actually more to the Dhamma would be to say, oh, I don't have to get those grapes. They weren't worth the effort anyway. And now the fox can can walk away with a big smile on his face. I don't need those grapes. So the Aesop's fable version of that fox is he's uh, morose and dejected and didn't get what he wanted. And so now he's blaming the grapes for his failure. What you can do instead is recognize that you don't have to have those grapes. That you're okay without them. And that you can trot right off and it doesn't matter whether the grapes are sour or not. They're just not worth the effort. And so you can walk away from that, that task as a champion. It's a change of attitude and you can change your attitude, but you have to keep changing it over and over again because you've got the natural attitude of a pity party. You've got the natural attitude, but that attitude you see is just a bad feeling that you've had all of these years from childhood but it hasn't kept you from being successful. 
that you actually are successful and you won't give yourself credit for being successful. What can you do to give yourself credit for being successful? Well, for one, you can take a deep breath. Could you be successful at taking a deep breath? I don't see your shoulders rising. Let's see you take another deep breath. Find some little success. Be successful. Be successful at making a joke and having a toy called a pity party, as opposed to being in self-pity. Turn it into a party. And be successful. Take another deep breath and be successful. This is the practice that the Buddha recommended, but um, many of us, like yourself, keep getting stuck in these pity parties, keep telling ourselves you can't do it or it's too hard or whatever. In fact, it's really not a, not a difficult thing to do at all to take a deep breath. All you have to do is remember it. And that resistance that you have to taking a deep breath is that you would rather be a victim so that you can get taken care of rather than being successful. Because if you are in fact successful, you're on your own. You ain't going to get no mommies to come take care of you. Your mommies are taking care of the pity party people. And so you're going to have to recognize, hey, I can take care of myself. I don't need a mommy to take care of me anymore. I don't have to go around having a pity party to get somebody else to feel bad for me so that they'll take care of me. I can take care of myself. And that's a way for you to start addressing that resistance. Because that resistance is the feeling of I'll be, I'll lose something. What will I lose? Getting taken care of. So in fact, you're taking comfort in your pity party. You are finding some happiness in there. But recognize that that kind of uh, happiness is, um, let us say second class. It's a second class kind of happiness. And it's second class because you have to have the pity party. Where in fact, your first class happiness, you don't need to have a pity party. You can just do that right off with success itself. But this is something you have to keep remembering over and over and over again that you can come out of your pity party that you don't need mommy or that teacher to take care of you that you can do this yourself you can take your own deep breath you can lighten up yourself you could put your own smile on your own face you don't need to show somebody else how bad you feel in order for them to take care of you that's where the pity party stuff comes from Right. The idea, must, I must, can't say what yeah. I said. It must go back to childhood, because like if I like was pitiful like now around anyone in my life, they'd be like, 
get the fuck out of here. Like people take care of you more, I feel, as an adult if you're happy because they want to be around you. Like no one wants to be around like a sad person. So it's like it's from childhood then, like it's like the patterns we learn. Mm-hmm. So we have to actually practice over and over and over again, lighten up, because you have been practicing over and over and over again for many, many years being pitiful. You're an expert at being pitiful. Congratulate yourself. You're quite successful at being pitiful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Robert, you're the most pitiful student I've ever had. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the way to start to look at it is to say yeah you can change your attitude about it and the way to help change that attitude is by breathing well that pity parties don't breathe well champions breathe well so keep remembering to keep taking those long deep breaths Give yourself the feeling of energetic, the feeling of I can handle this. So whenever that pity party feeling comes up, you know that it, it feels deflating, doesn't it? It feels like there's just a bunch of pressure on it. Someplace from above, there's a bunch of pressure. And you're weighted down. Right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you do feel pressure and weighted down, that means then that it's hard to breathe. But the reality is, is no, breathing is not that hard. All you have to do is remember it. And so one of the ways of coming out of that feeling being pressurized is by taking a deep breath. To recognize I can expand the lungs and I can contract them and I can expand them and relax them. And in fact, that relaxation brings on a new attitude. But when we are tight and closed down and feel under pressure, we're not breathing very well. And so I would recommend that you start taking a lot of focus onto the breathing. Start paying more attention to your breathing. Because instead, what you're doing is paying attention to the self-pity. Oh, poor me. But now we're going to start looking at it in the sense of um, imagine that you've got a balloon, a heart, uh, the balloon Never mind uh, how hard it is to pump up that balloon. Imagine that that balloon now is sitting under a brick. And how heavy, how hard is that balloon to blow up when it's got a brick sitting on it? Right? That's basically the pity party is like a brick sitting on your lungs. It's going to take some effort. But by taking that effort, and blow and and expanding the lungs you can begin to feel that pressure you can begin to examine that brick that heavy weight that's there that keeps you down that feel makes you feel like that you're defeated depressed under a brick under a, a boulder even but the way out of it 
is to start to breathe. That's why the Buddha had Anapanasati. He knew what he was talking about. All the physiology from all of the uh, new research and everything like that, there's a whole number of sports that the primary key from a mediocre sportsman into a champion is often the breathing. That breathing is important for stipers. Breathing is important for basketball players. Breathing is important for singers. Breathing is important for being alive and coming out from under your brick. So this is one of the things that I would strongly recommend just to start remembering your breath. To remember that your breathing is going to help coming out of that pressure. And also remember that you can do this. That part of the pity party is I'm a failure. I can't do this. And because we feel like a failure and telling ourselves can't do it, we don't even try to take that deep breath. But you can, if you can remember that you can take a deep breath, pity party or not, that's not the point. The point is, is can you take a deep breath and relax? Then a half a minute or maybe 10 seconds later, can you take another deep breath and relax? Pretty soon we're paying more attention to the breathing and we're not paying so much attention to the pity party. Now, the funny thing is, is that this is just the same old information that I've given you many times before. We're just putting it in the context of the pity party. But this is the whole point. Can you, in fact, breathe through your pity party? Can you recognize by changing it from, oh, let me stop having pity upon me and start having pity upon the world? I mean, the world's really messed up. The world is far more messed up than you are, Robert. You're not so messed up at all. That you've been successful and you don't even give yourself credit for it. So you need to start taking credit for that success. And one of the ways to do that is with the breathing. Come on, let me see you take a deep breath. We've been talking about breathing for 10 minutes or more, or 20 minutes, and you haven't taken a really good, strong, deep breath yet. Todd, let me see you take a deep breath. I'm watching. Parker, let me see you take a deep breath. Now, that's a deep breath. That one I got. Robert, let me see you take a deep breath. Let me see your shoulders rise. That's what we need. We need to have some deep breathing. I mean, you've heard me talk about it so much. Let's see you do it. Let's take a deep breath. Because taking that deep breath is a successful thing to do. 
and you have been successful and you won't give yourself credit for being successful. A thought that always comes up for me um, when I feel like kind of satisfied is what do I do like with this satisfaction um is that like um like a bad thought should I just like dismiss that and just go back to trying to feel satisfied and if a thought comes back just dismiss it you go back. it out right mm-hmm it's a it's a practice that has to be done over and over and over again And you can do it any time that you remember to do it. So I, I recommend to students to practice a short time, several times a day, four, five, six times a day, practice for just 10 minutes, taking deep breaths and having thoughts of, this is the best pity party I can have. Wow, I'm having a, jaw, a ball here. What a party. is keep practicing over and over again to start changing that attitude from the attitude of, oh, poor me, I need help. This is terrible. Into, hey, I've got this wired. I can do this. We actually need to practice that because you are an expert at pity parties. You have been practicing pity parties for years. You're an expert at it. You have been talking yourself into feeling bad. And are an expert at talking yourself into feeling bad. Now it's time to start practicing talking yourself into feeling good. Start having thoughts of success, having thoughts of a deep breath, having thoughts of energizing the body. Having thoughts of having the body relaxed. Having the thoughts that all of that pity is out there, not here. That this is no longer self-pity, this is real pity. I pity the president, I pity the Congress, I pity the uh, politicians, I really pity priests. They're pitiful people. Okay, so that's the way to, to, to start looking. Take that pity and place it out there someplace that you are successful. And you know how you can prove how successful you are? Take a deep breath. That's all you need to do is to be successful, is just take a deep breath. So let me see you take another deep breath. Let's be successful right now. Put some smile on it. It's a very okay. different way of relating to the world. Mm -hmm. I know that you've got resistance to it. That's why I keep hounding this over and over and over again, is to get through that resistance. 
that you could say, in fact, that resistance that you mentioned is actually what Eric Byrne would call a life script. It's, you, it's the way of doing things. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. If I if I change my my pity party, what will I have left? That in fact, your pity parties, your self pity, is a great deal of your um, self identification. Is who you are. What would I be if I didn't have my pity? So that's the question for you. What would you be like if you didn't have this pity? Would it be better? Or worse. Then where's the resistance? The resistance is just an old habit. That's the way things should be. It's kind of like also a habit and a rule. And you can drop that rule. You can change the rules. And the rule now can be, ah, oh, I can have fun. I can actually have a party with my pity. Because after all, you're, you're uh, world class. You're an expert at being pitiful. Success at last. Yeah, that's that's it's interesting. A lot of what you said like made me think about a lot of stuff in like some new ways. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, before I kind of thought of it like I'm either like empowered and like I'm like working towards goals or I'm like failing at my goals and not doing it and feeling like a victim. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of this is kind of different though because it's like. I'm feeling good, but not because of I'm doing any goals. It's just coming from the breath. Uh huh. That's that's well, kind of cool. Like, yeah. That's an interesting point because all of the goals that we have within the practice of the Buddha Dhamma, not in Buddhism. In Buddhism, there's all kinds of stuff, but the teachings of the Buddha, there is actually the success or the goals are immediately available. The only goal that you should have is the goal of enjoying this breath. Yeah, I, th I think that's like what I had a hard time accepting was like. Like. I always need like a goal that's like far away in the distance that I mm -hmm. can go. to. No, then, a goal that's far away that you can't go to. And so you have a pity party instead. Yeah, yeah. So I've got like ha happy because I'm like getting towards it, or like self pitying because I'm not. <laughs> it's, it's just a, it's just a different, it's just different. Like it's such a different way of what relating to life, you know. Mm -hmm. Like just, just like the the breath for the sake of the breath. It's really, yeah. Yeah, it's easy. There's nothing really to it, but the old habit of the pity party and the resistance to changing it has to be overcome but you can overcome it and you can overcome it right now 
And if you can overcome it right now, then later you can overcome it right now. And pretty soon you will begin to gain, change the attitude. See, right now your attitude is the attitude of a victim, the attitude of a failure. So you need to start giving yourself some immediate successes, have some immediate goals that you can immediately accomplish and immediately feel successful and happy and competent that you can at, take, at least take a deep breath. You're still alive. You're still alive. You've been able to stay alive. Now, how can you have a pretty party when you know that you're alive? That you're not in danger, that you can take a deep breath, that you can be satisfied. That's what we need to keep practicing. Have that immediate goal. And when you keep getting that immediate goal over and over and over again, it will de develop confidence. In the part of the word is shrata or shada. I can do it. I can do. It's the can do attitude. You can have that attitude. You just change it immediately. And the way to change it is through the breath. Take a deep, long breath and say, hey, I could take a good, long, deep breath. My, what a good boy am I. I can take a deep breath. Be successful. Start thinking about the breathing. And when that resistance comes up, say, aha, I see you resistance. I see that. And then take another deep breath. Or in the example of the brick on the balloon, when you start pumping that balloon up with the lungs, you can recognize, oh, there's some resistance in there. It's like I got a heavy weight on the chest. Right? Does it feel kind of like that, that you're under pressure mm. and you've got a big yes. heavy weight on your chest? Okay. Well, here's the answer to that is, can you, in fact, keep breathing well enough so that you start to move that heavy weight? In other words, you're beginning to start taking control of it. Rather than being a victim to that heavy weight, that resistance, you can actually move it. You can push it. You can change it by taking a deep breath. And in fact, this this point that you're talking about is exactly the same. It's not the same feeling, but you deal with it in the same way. And that would be anxiety. Then, in fact, anxiety and pity party are fairly closely related. And the way that you can deal with both of them is by taking that deep breath, moving the lungs in and out, moving the chest in and out, breaking up any tensions that are in the body, and enjoy the fact that you can take a deep breath. Become successful at taking a deep breath, one after another. Congratulate yourself. Find some winner in there. This is the advice of the Buddha. Become a winner. Be a lion. The Buddha was a lion. He was not a pity party person. And you could become just like the Buddha by breathing well. Roar.
Ah, this is a nice breath. <laughs> Miguel, you have been a shadow person for quite a while. I don't see, I see the background in a shadow, but I don't see your image. Is that a, uh, a feature of your software or bad lighting or what? I was just, uh, I'm uh, having some dinner. <laughs> oh, now I'm beginning to see a little bit of the, all I saw before was a, a shadow, but now I can see some tone colors. Mm. Robert. Hey guys. Robert, yeah, you decided yeah. to join hey, us. How's it going? Good to see you, Miguel. Good to see you, other Robert, Parker, Todd, everyone. Donato. If you'll notice what happened right then, I made a change of reference. Out of talking about pity party into shadows and things like that. And immediately, Robert has a great big smile on his face. Did anybody else notice that Robert's got a big smile now because he's not dealing with that resistance? But if I mention the resistance, the resistance will come back again. Yeah, that's what happened, yeah. <laughs> so if that's true, recognizing that I can change the direction of your focus, you can too. You can. Um, uh, let us say, become distracted from your distractions. Your pity party is your distraction. You can become distracted from that. And I'm recommending the way to do that is with the breath. Start focusing and noticing the breath, how good it feels to take a good breath. To recognize you're still alive. Wow, isn't that marvelous? Being alive, I mean, I can't think of anything better for any of you. I'm really glad that each one of you, all five of you here, are still alive. You haven't stopped breathing during this conversation. You're just not breathing as well as you could. And you can breathe better if you remember to breathe. But you have to come out of your distractions of pity party. And start feeling like a winner. So do something with an immediate goal of taking a breath and being satisfied right here, right now. And once you have that satisfaction over and over again, it will begin to grow. Everything starts with a little seed. Within the seed of a, a uh, let us say, an, an acorn, within that acorn is an entire forest of trees. But not in the sense of, oh, I can have an acorn, I've got the trees. No, the acorn has to be planted, it has to grow. So also is satisfaction. Your satisfaction will turn into an entire forest of satisfaction if you can get an acorn of satisfaction. So start having an acorn of satisfaction. Start having a little bit of satisfaction in this moment. At least you can take a deep breath. Come on, let me see you do it. 
Let's be satisfied right now. Everybody, let's take a deep breath and be satisfied. Oh, how nice it is to be alive, to be able to breathe, to breathe well. And when we're thinking about that, we've got happy thoughts. We've got successful thoughts. That's the acorn that we're talking about. Keep that acorn growing. Have a little bit of satisfaction. Robert, you got your hand up. Yeah, just one thing that I've learned from Domerato that's really helped me is like really positive reframing of situations. You know, like, for example, I, I was driving through a tunnel the other day and I really don't like driving through tunnels. Um, and I thought to myself, you know what? This is a great opportunity to enjoy driving in tunnels, you know, to, to further improve my ability to drive through tunnels. Because if I get through this one and I have a positive point of view, the next one is going to be is going to be easier. And it made it a much nicer experience driving through the tunnel. So I don't know if you've experimented with that much, but it's been that's one thing I've played around with a lot and I've enjoyed. Ah, well, in fact, we can use the analogy of the tunnel is the pity party. It's a tunnel. Can you enjoy the tunnel? Can you take a deep breath? I can handle this pity party. I don't even have to say poor me, the champion me can have a pity party and be very successful at it. We could actually have a party. Ain't it awful? <laughs> How awful can it be? Enjoy the tunnel. Enjoy. It's great. Like, just say to yourself, you know what? This pity party is great. I'm really glad I'm doing this right now. This is a great... <sighs> Great way to spend my time. Yeah. <laughs> Can I take a deep breath while I'm having a pity party? Can I push the boundaries of that resistance? If I can push the boundaries of that resistance, that means I've already taken control over it. So you're already being successful right here in this conversation. The trick is, can you remember what we've been talking about? Or are you going to forget all about it and go back into having a pity party again? Can you remember to take a deep breath? Robert. Yeah, and, and also another thing that Dom Rado said that's been really helpful for me is just the noticing is the success. You know, and... What often happens is you notice and then you feel guilty for having it. Of Oh, I wasn't so good at practicing because, look, I had a pity party. And when am I ever going to get good at this, this sati thing and this happiness thing? I'm never going to be good at this. You know, look, I was just in the pity party again. And then but just the noticing is the success. You know, that's it. You're already successful once you noticed. You don't need to do anything more. You know, that whole guilt trip thing is very, you know, Christianity. That's society talking. Forget that. You know, that time is not your friend when it comes to this. Don't think about all the times in the future you have to do this 
or all the times in the past where you haven't done it right. Just that noticing in that moment is the success. And that is the brute fact is that that is successful noticing in that one moment. And congratulations. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the things that I say about that would be to um, I, I just thought about it recently in the context that they were talking about that time is on the side of the Ukrainians. Time is not on Putin's side. Right? Do you understand why that's true? Why is it true that time is on the side of the Ukrainians and not on Putin's side? The answer to that is, is that Putin wants something. He wants it desperately. Okay. And all the Ukrainians want is for him to stop what doing what he's he's wanting to do. But but also the Ukrainians have a lot of friends. So we can think of it like that to begin to recognize that in all cases, time is on your side. Time is always on your side. What does that mean? It means that right now is all the time that you've got and it's on your side if you remember that it's on your side but part of having a pity party is to think that time is not on my side that this present moment is not good enough the time is not on my side but the reality is is that this present moment is just still keeping you alive Can you be grateful for time being on your side? Time is on your side. Now we can look at it time on your side in the sense of the future is, is that if I can feel good now, then time will be on my side next time and I can feel good then too. So begin to think of it in the sense that time is on your side. Time is not against you. The time is on your side, and right now is the best time. In fact, right now is the only time there is, and it's on your side. It's there to nourish you and protect you and to keep you alive and keep you breathing. And it'll put up with your pity party if that's what you want to do with it. It's your time. It's your moment. You have a choice. If you remember that you have a choice. If you remember that you have a choice. And when you're having a pity party, you don't think you have any choices. This is why practicing sati over and over and over again to practice taking that deep breath over and over and over again is so valuable to help you remember the time is on your side and everything is fine and you're okay. If you can remember. But you see, you have been talking yourself, Robert, in fact, all of us do talk ourselves into feeling bad. And we do that from childhood. And then we do it when we're 10. And then we do it when we're 11. Then we do it when we're a teenager. And then we do it when we're 20. And we just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And we begin to think that's who I am. And so we call it in this case, self pity. 
But in fact, just because you have been going that way doesn't mean that you have to continue to go that way. You can imagine, in fact, the idea would be a um, a car that's stuck in reverse. And the guy got it uh, and he recognizes it's stuck in reverse. And so he drives his car backwards. So he's over the uh, and doing it like this and he's driving his car, looking over his shoulder backwards. And all he had to do was take it to the mechanic and have a small change so that he could put it in forward gear. All right, so this is what you have to do is you have to stop driving your car backwards. You're stuck in reverse. You had to remember to keep taking it out of reverse and putting it back into uh, uh, forward gear. You have to remember to keep changing your gear. From reverse into forward. That's all you have to do is remember to remember to remember. Remember to take a deep breath. Remember to be here now. Remember to be alive and to enjoy being alive. And let that seed of satisfaction grow. This is the practice. And here you have been saying that you were practicing, but what you were really practicing was pity party. Well, you're already an expert at pity party. Congratulations, as I said. You're the one of the best pity party people I've ever met, Robert. You're a complete success at that. Okay, so now we need to start thinking about being successful at something else. If you can be successful at having a pity party, maybe you can be successful at taking a deep breath. Can you? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so, Todd, do you have anything to say to Robert about this? I've had a lot of different ideas over the course of the night, but um, I think I think uh, the other Robert had some excellent suggestions as well. But uh, I think the things that have jumped out at me the most are the fact that it really helps, or I found that it really helps to acknowledge that all of these, all of the, this kind of goes back to the earlier part of the conversation, but you kept bringing up thoughts and and the fact that all of these things are coming from thoughts anytime you get locked in these loops of of pitying or you know judging or any of these things they're all just thoughts and none of them necessarily mean anything you know you don't have to believe them mm -hmm. they're just habitual thinking and you know i also always like going into the kind of self-inquiry of who is even, you know, believing these thoughts? Who is there to, you know, and kind of go into a deep dive like that? If that's if that's something you're interested in, but um, but but even just, you know, just acknowledging the fact that it's it's so quick to we're so quick to buy into whatever thoughts come into our minds at any time, and and we don't we don't. Uh, we don't use the discrimination that we should in discernment that we should as to whether it's not just a wholesome thought or an unwholesome thought, but 
whether it's complete bullshit or not <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to be very helpful and also i i, I don't know I, I saw a quote the other day on facebook and this whole conversation has really reminded me of it and i don't know if it'd be for me to share it um okay i thought i had looked it up again because i thought it was still pretty pertinent i i don't know it's by it was on a buddhist page um that popped up and it's by jeff foster who i don't know but but again this this really just kept popping up when robert you okay. were you know saying this stuff about this these feelings of um enough preamble okay read so, it to us what's the quote <laughs> when you feel that life is meaningless well good it is or rather it's important sometimes to courageously touch into the inherent meaninglessness and absurdity of things and not run away into fantasy and false hope meaninglessness when not resisted when touched with an open heart and a curious mind when penetrated with warm awareness and gentle breath is like a nourishing and restorative bath of simplicity all you have ever accomplished meaningless all your successes and your failures meaningless all you have built up all you have worked for all you have proven and argued and defended in the eyes of others meaningless to the ego this is heresy negative and depressing and even a little terrifying but 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 if you plunge into the depths of meaninglessness willingly and consciously and with the curiosity of a child you may end up discovering something amazing in the dirt in the muck in the mud in the dizzying groundlessness of that hopeless and empty place inside you may find relief peace even the seeds of new joy yes joy a joy that is causeless and unrelated to any of your worldly achievements possessions accomplishments successes or failures a simple joy, the joy of being itself, the inherent fullness of existence, the blazing light in the midst of a single ordinary moment, the sacredness in the furnace of time, the holiness in the manure of self. So I thought that's a very important point about the meaninglessness of it. The meaninglessness of it is within the context of the Buddha is sunyata or emptiness or nothingness what that means is is that things don't mean it don't mean a thing all those arguments and all of that discussion and all of that negotiation and all of that uh uh arguments and stuff it don't mean anything nothing means anything what is in fact this is the reason why i was talking about it in the sense of ain't it awful playing with it because ain't it awful goes in the direction of is meaningless because we're saying ain't it awful ironically that i don't think that you can actually say ain't it awful and mean that <laughs> it's always said ironically ain't it awful your pity party that only in the pity party it, does it have any meaning. And so you actually do say, ain't it awful? Ain't I awful? Oh, the pity of it all. But you can change that into the humor in the sense of 
Uh, it really doesn't mean anything. There's nothing to it. It's meaningless. Given that it is meaningless, now you have a choice. Are you going to enjoy it being meaningless? Or are you going to be frustrated and upset and want something to have meaning to it? That's the basic point that Christianity would bring you, that this is part of our culture, that things are supposed to be meaning. I mean, why did God invent? Why did he have the world? Why did he invent creation? Why did he create anything? It must mean something. Guess what? It doesn't have to mean anything. It just is. If there's anything that has any meaning to it, it be, would be that you're alive. That's the only thing that I can think of that's important. And if you can see that the only thing that you've got in your life that's important is, is that you're alive, then you can appreciate this next breath because that's going to keep you alive. Do you actually enjoy, Robert, do you actually enjoy being alive? Sometimes. Ah, well, why don't you practice that? Why don't you actually practice being alive and enjoying it? That's a good point. That's a really yeah, good point. Practice enjoying being alive. And the best way to do that is take a deep breath. That makes you really alive. So that's the only meaning that we need is you're still alive. That's the only thing that's important is that you can take this next breath. Isn't like it marvelous that. that you're still alive? Pity party and all is marvelous that you're still alive. It's, a, it's such a different way of thinking about the meaning of life and like mm. the way to live life and stuff than what everyone else is doing but it's it's cool yeah it's it works like i, I can feel it like in this call like this is a different way to do things but look how how miserable most of the rest of the world is and see if their their take on it seems to be working for them so maybe there's something something here right all people who are having a pity party, they get taken care of. If if you go up to a, uh, let us say, to a counter in any way at all, uh, uh, let us say at the bank. If you go up to the bank and you have and, and you run a pity party, you can get that uh, bank teller to do everything for you if you're very good at being in a pity party. Oh, please help me. I don't know how to fill this thing out. What do I do here and there? And they'll they'll jump right in with their motherly love. So being in a pity party is actually a way of manipulating people. I know I've watched that my whole life. I have not been ever very good at it. I'm always the one who can do it. I'm the one who has to go take care of the people who are having a pity party, and I'm not very good at it. <laughs> yeah. God, I'd rather give them wisdom than give them help. Yeah, yeah, and they don't want that. Like, they just want you to commiserate. 
Uh-huh. You don't want my you don't want my wisdom at all. You just want me to commiserate with your pity party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that. <laughs> and so that's the part of the resistance is look at the fact that you are getting some value out of having your pity party. You can manipulate people with it. The question is, is can you come out of it? Do you have a choice or is that your only method of operation? Can you enjoy being alive? Your choice. You can be alive. You can be. Uh, in that sense of meaningless, isn't it? Actually, in fact, I think that that's quite marvelous. I think that's quite exciting. That the things don't actually have any meaning. That gives you tremendous freedom. Going back to the brick on the balloon, that brick doesn't mean anything. That heaviness doesn't mean anything. It's just there. You were the one who brought it in, you drug that in, and, and now you, you're weighted down with all of that meaning. Poor old Robert. Things mean so much. Everything is so important. But when you take all of <laughs> I'm commiserating now and he loves it. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was laughing at the irony of what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So this is the point then. Now you're beginning to understand. But the important thing is, is that you have to practice this. Because you are already an expert at pity parties. Can you be an expert at seeing the pity party? Can you make a uh, can you become an expert at coming out of the pity party, making a change, taking a deep breath, appreciating the fact that you're still alive so that you can have a pity party. You're still alive, Robert, didn't that marvelous? Your pity parties didn't kill you. <laughs> yeah. So this is the way of dealing with it. Parker, you went blue there for a second. Do you have anything to add? Just that when that thought arises of, I can just feel good right now. And then the next thought arises of, but it's important. Continue coming back to that meaninglessness of, it's not important. <laughs> Isn't it ironic? This issue about importance and whatnot. It's just, it's, it's ironic. You can't find it anywhere. In a way, you could say that isn't, it's really important to see that things are not important. There's language for you. <laughs> uh -huh. 
it's really important that you stop seeing things as so important because things are not important. The only thing that's important is, is that you can see that things are not important. That you're alive and you're well and you can take a deep breath and you can enjoy being alive. That's the only important thing. Nothing else is important. Well, since nothing is important, this tall is no longer important. <laughs> so does anybody have anything left to say with all of this? I think that this has been a great talk. I don't think that Robert's completely convinced yet, but he's on his way. Yeah, thank you. It's It's been really, really helpful for me, actually. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Miguel, do you have anything to add? No, I'm good over here. Pardon? I said I'm good over here. You're good. OK. All right. Well, that's important. <laughs> So does anybody have any closing remarks for this? We've been going at it for a while. For the viewers, um, as I usually mentioned, check out the description for the links for the Skype calls and the Discord. That these are everyone is welcome to join these. Oh, and, and also don't forget to do a little shout out for the Open Sangha Foundation. Um, you know, we we'd love to have anyone that'd like to volunteer. So yeah. Yes, that's right. We've got uh, a Sangha organization that we're uh, building and growing. Todd and Miguel, if you'd like to get involved with that, uh, uh, the two Roberts and Parker already know quite a lot about it. Uh, there's a, a Skype group called Open Sangha Foundation. And the Open Sangha Foundation, basically the two words open and Sangha are the important words um, open in the sense that uh, we're not making boundaries. An example of a boundary is the Presbyterian cannot take communion. That's a boundary. OK, we're not putting those kind of boundaries in there that it's open. Uh, Tibetan and uh, uh, Vajrayana and Zen and Chan and Theravada and robes and not robes, all of it is open. Anybody who wants to join can join. And what is Sangha is community. That in Western Buddhism, there's a whole lot of division. There's a whole lot of little groups around then in fact, they keep the Vajrayana and the Zen and the Theravada, and they, they make these separations to where the reality is, is that those separations are not important. What's important is friendship, is Sangha. And so this is what we're promoting, is the promotion of friendship in the wider context. Eventually, the idea is to begin to take the money out of Western Buddhism so that we can actually teach the Dhamma through Sangha. And so that's the intention. And we've got a lot of plans and it's going to operate slowly. We're going to build it up slowly. 
but we can uh, in that regard, uh, the volunteers won't have a whole lot of work to do. Everybody can take it easy because we're walking in a, in a really friendly way. And so I invite everyone to to volunteer. One of the things that we need is a teacher coordinator. What is a teacher coordinator is to get in touch with all of these teachers that we already know about one at a time with an email and invite them to join uh, the Open Sangha Foundation or uh, other things like that to get a newsletters going. So one of the audiences that we want to um, uh, to contact are basically not the old guard, not the really heavy duty established teachers like Jack and Joseph and Achan Samedo and Achan Pisano and Achan Amaro and, and uh, Christopher Tetnis, you know the list, Brasington, uh, that crowd. We're talking about now the newer students, the ones who are the newer teachers, the ones who have uh, began to see that that teaching the Dhamma is a really, really good way of spending your time. Since nothing is important, let's spend it on the Dhamma. Okay, those are the teachers who we want to bring into the community. Those who have been teaching, let us say, less than 10 years. Those are the teachers that we want to learn to, for each other, each of those together to make friends with each other, to have a community. This is what we need within uh, uh, Western Buddhism. In Asia, that community is there, that any monk can walk, literally walk into any Wat in um, Thailand and be immediately accepted, immediately friends. Within Western Buddhism, we don't treat people that way. Okay, so we need to develop friendship. That in fact, friendship is probably more important than any other of the teachings of the Buddha. Because if you can't make friends with yourself, it's hard to make friends with others. And if you can make friends with yourself and make friends with others, then what else do you want in life? Oh, you want enlightenment. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's what enlightenment is, is being friends with yourself and friends with everyone else. And so this is what we're doing is we're promoting that sangha, promoting that friendship, promoting that uh, mutual, uh, let us say, back scratching. And Todd, I would really invite you in. We've got some things that you can get involved with also. And I very much appreciate Robert Cohen for all the work that he's been putting in, but the star of the show is Parker. Yay, Parker. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Is, is there a website for it? Yes, Tyler is making the website as we speak. Nice. We've decided that what we need is the uh, the 5013C first, mm -hmm. as opposed to the website first. Okay, so uh, first priority, and Christopher is working on that. And that Parker's already scheduled a meeting for uh, Friday the 3rd of uh, uh, June. At what time Pacific, I don't know. What is it? Uh, 
That's for Thai time. For the U.S. folks, it'll be Thursday, June 2nd at 5.30 p.m. Uh, that's Cal California. I don't know what the specific time zone is, but that's what uh, the California time zone, 5.30. All right, so I invite all of you to have that call on this coming Thursday at 5.30 in the evening. Um, is there, where do we sign up for volunteering? Um, on the, uh, the group. Open Sangha Foundation is, is a group on Skype. Okay. Parker, it's, will uh, you send Todd a, uh, invitation? Yep. Thank you. And, uh, both of the Roberts are already members of the group. Miguel, you, you're invited also to join if you like. So I think that we've had enough to, to, for today. Thank you all for joining. Yeah, this is great. Thank you, guys. See you soon, guys. See you soon. May you take a deep breath, Robert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot actually. Thank you. <laughs> See you guys later. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, Great seeing you all. Likewise. Bye.